Truth Espresso, episode 130. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey there, welcome to Truth Espresso Express, and I am your host, Daniel Minnick, driving to work and driving home another idea and waking up in the process. And I'm hoping that my waking up helps you wake up this morning or whenever you're listening to it. Maybe it's three in the afternoon and you need to wake up or, you know, whatever. But, um, so this is. This is Daniel Minnick hosting Truth Espresso Express, and I'm uh, pulling out of my lot, headed to the main drag that will head to the highway, and we're going to look at an all-too-familiar verse, and I don't mean to <laughs> demean the verse, of course, because we're going to plumb the depths of one of our favorite verses of scripture, uh, one of the most well-known verses of scripture. I mean, we know that Genesis 1-1 is probably well-known. In fact, a lot of um, atheists and Christians alike probably can quote Genesis 1-1. But let's look at the most popular verse, perhaps even more popular than Genesis 1-1. Well, perhaps judge not that ye be not judged is, you know, could be the most popular verse among atheists, but, <laughs> you know, that that would be a topic for another episode if I could uh, remember to do something like that on that verse. But the most popular verse in the Bible undoubtedly is John 3.16. And I probably don't need to quote it because you might likely know it from memory, but I'm going to quote it anyway, just so that we keep it fresh as we discuss and dissect it and plumb the depths of it for this episode. So, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is indeed a very encouraging, very promising statement that um, can really uh, grab on to someone's heartstrings, especially when someone is contemplating the meaning of life and uh, the need for salvation. Now, as I said, John 3.16 is likely the most well-known verse. In fact, Often as you're watching televised sports, you might see someone in the bleachers in uh, among the spectators holding a banner that dons this verse. You'll see John 3.16 displayed on banners at sporting events. Um, and for good reason, John 3.16 is indeed um, the gospel in a nutshell. Oh, let me adjust my mirror there for a little bit. So... 
But what makes John 3.16 interesting is that we need to look at the context to see just how deep it is because we often are quick to get to that second half, the promise of how we personally get salvation, but we might gloss over the depth of the first half of the verse, talking about the Son, who the Son is, and being given. Now, let's think of the context because we would not have a John 3.16, humanly speaking. We know that all scripture is inspired, is breathed by God, is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine and all the rest. Um, but humanly speaking, chronologically speaking, if we look at history, look at the context of this verse, we would not have John 3.16 if we did not have a certain man named Nicodemus decide for whatever reason to approach Jesus at nighttime. And this was an unusual time. The throngs would uh, press on Jesus, whether to get healed or to challenge him with a question. They wanted their questions answered, whether nefariously or honestly, or they were very ill and they wanted Jesus to heal. They heard that this Jesus of Nazareth, as he would walk around towns, would heal many people of very serious lifelong illnesses and so for Nicodemus this took a lot of forethought and planning to figure out where Jesus would be at nighttime um, as Jesus would likely uh, be trying to catch up on rest for the next busy day and it's possible that Nicodemus since he was a ruler of the Jews he's a member of the Sanhedrin either he personally was trying to avoid um, the politics of the Sanhedrin and he had his personal questions and he really was curious and he wanted to avoid um, the politics of his fellow Sanhedrin members and approach Jesus in private and the only way he could do that was by night or perhaps um, he was instructed by his uh, members of the Sanhedrin like approach Jesus in private by night and ask these questions and and perhaps try to trap him in something and uh, it doesn't seem that Nicodemus had nefarious reasons himself but whatever the reason whether um, it was an undercover mission on under on the part of the Sanhedrin or Nicodemus's own personal curiosity uh, he decided to come and see Jesus by night and because he did that we have this wonderful verse in John 3:16 that many people across the globe can quote from memory they learned as a child and what's interesting about this, perhaps if you have a red letter edition of the Bible that tries to put the words of Jesus in red, you might see this verse in red. But to be honest, that is a translation uh, nuance there. 
or a printing nuance there because um, technically speaking, there were no quotation marks. You know, in the translation of the Bible, there were no quotation marks in the Greek manuscripts. So we don't know for sure if this verse is continuing the words of Jesus to Nicodemus or if it is the writer, John, giving his commentary on what was just said, explaining it, and then going back to Jesus' words. Like, like, would we put this verse in parentheses where John's saying, uh, what does Jesus mean? Well, this is, this is how uh, Jesus' words make sense. And I'm, I'm kind of giving forethought as to how... Um, you know, how it is that whoever believes on the Son has everlasting life. And in in foresight, we know, because John wrote it after Jesus died and rose from the dead, that it was because of uh, looking at the serpent, Jesus lifted up as the serpent was lifted on the pole and healed the Israelites. Um, but whatever the case, whether this is still the words of Jesus to Nicodemus or the commentary of John uh, to the reader, we have this wonderful verse. So now let's dive into the verse itself, um, at least this first part, word by word. Now, the first word is for, which is another word for because. And so this verse tells us how or why the previous statement is true because the previous verse just says that whoever you know he's like the sir he was lifted up if the son of man is lifted up like the serpent on the pole then whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life so you have some a statement very similar to the second the ha- the second half of John 3:16 the next verse but uh, the beginning of John 3:16 is going to say why it's true so why is it that the son of man this self-proclaimed son of man as Jesus himself would call himself why is it that if he is lifted up he's like the serpent on the pole that means that he is proclaiming something of himself that's very special Um, you know because just because someone is lifted up in the manner that he was, there were plenty of criminals who were nailed to uh, the cross, um, a cross under Roman execution. But so it's very special that Jesus being lifted up does something that whoever believes in him would have eternal life and for him to provide uh, in this analogy healing or salvation like the serpent lifted on the pole means that God gave this son as a special instruction God instructed Moses to lift the serpent on the pole and then it was God through the serpent that provided healing and now so that means that the son of man here being lifted up is done so in a special way because of who he is so he is the reason we're going to see the reason why it is that anyone who believes in him actually gets eternal life 
Um, so, the next word. We just looked at the reason for this verse. For. Now, the next word, God. And I just love this. Why is it that anyone believing in this, in Jesus, gets eternal life? For God. Well, who's going to argue with God? God is the ultimate authority. And if God is the reason, then <laughs> um, who's to say anything else? Who can bring a charge? As the Apostle Paul says um, in Romans uh, chapter 8, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God that justifies. Well, who's going to argue with a statement like, why is it that if anyone believes on Jesus, he gets eternal life? Well, for God. God, the Father here, is being addressed. He... Um, God the Father is the fountainhead of our salvation, and there is no higher authority. And so, I really love this. <laughs> As the reason given for God. And now, the next word, so. Now, so, uh, you know, let's take it with a word after that. So loved. Let's take so loved as its own part. Uh very often, if we don't analyze the Greek words here of this verse, uh, we might be tempted to think that so loved just means loved so much. Like God was just sitting around um, oozing out with this love. He just loved the world so much. He was sitting around just loving the world woo, that he finally decided, you know, I want to do something about this feeling of love that I have for the world. I just love it so much that I've got to do something about it. Well, you know, the how deep the Father's love for us. I'm not going to discount that the Father's love is great here, but the word so here the uh, in the Greek, hoste, um, it doesn't it isn't conveying the idea of much or quantity as it is quality. Um, it's, this is, um, it's not an adverb, it's a conjunction, or rather, it's not a conjunction, but an adverb. It's expressing in this manner. So, God loved the world in this way, in this manner. This is the way that God loved the world. So, <laughs> uh, I think that is, you know, might, you might think, oh, that just turns it from sentimentality to some academic statement. God loved in this way. Uh, you know, way to deflate that balloon for me. No, I, I would say that God so loved the world or loved the world in this way is a very intimate and deep statement. Because what does that tell us? God loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son, his only unique son. It means that his love is fully expressed and fully wrapped in the giving of his son. So it's not that God was sitting around loving the world for a few thousand years in some way and then finally decided 
how about I just send the son? Yeah, I think that will that will show some more love. No, God's love for the world that he created is entirely, inseparably, and deeply expressed in the action of giving his son. In other words, you know, you we know the love of God by this and be, and God's love is fully expressed in this. And so I think that that is an amazing statement to think that you know what how whatever we know about the love of God it is fully expressed and pretty much defined in this action of giving the son so that brings us to ask the question well then who is this son if the love of god is intertwined with the action of giving the son and what does it mean that he gave so that's the next word to look at gave <laughs> god gave that is truly an amazing statement now there are plenty of verses in the bible that talk about god giving something you know we even see that uh, in the book of daniel god gave israel to um, nebuchadnezzar and that's not uh, the same type of giving as we see here um God gave them over to a reprobate mind in Romans chapter 1. That's not the gift of God here. Um, so remember Romans uh, 3.23, or if I, get, if I remember correctly, you know, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, so we see a positive gift here from God. But... John 3.16 amplifies our understanding of what it means that God gave because it's entirely linked to his love for the world. So, if God loved the world in this manner that he gave, that must really speak to what it means that God gave something. Um, so, did God love the world in this way that he snapped his fingers, created someone, and then gave that someone? <laughs> that's, that's a question really to ask. Because the word gave here, I think, tells us if, it, if God gave by means of his love, and his love is, is uh, an attribute of his being, you know, God is love, as the same writer says in his epistle, <clears throat> then I think there's more to God giving than simply creating something to give. Uh, because when God creates, uh, did it really exhaust him? Did it really make him tired? Uh, we see that God rested on the seventh day. But I don't think it means that God exhausted himself and, and sweated and was out of breath and had to rest because he was exhausted. It just He rested on the seventh day. He ceased to create, as Genesis says, and that became a pattern for what his creatures would do. But I don't think uh, God creating ex nihilo uh, was difficult for him. It didn't exhaust him of uh, his being there. But um, 
but God loved the world that he gave, that he just created ex nihilo and gave that? I don't think that really explains to us what it means that God gave um, for reason of his love. Um, so I think gave really helps us to understand just who this is that he gave. This is someone very special. Um, God loved, and I think, as uh, uh, James White says in an early uh, message, that heaven was bankrupt of its treasure when the Son was given. Um, you know, well, God, the Son is still eternal with the Father, and so I don't mean that in, you know, but what God gave was the very treasure of heaven itself um, in the Son. And we'll see that as we look at the direct object here. He gave his only begotten son. His love is expressed in this manner that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, Jesus Christ is the glorious one whom God calls his only begotten son. The word for begotten is the Greek word monogenes, which, you know, it, it means unique. The, he's the only unique one. Now, let's ask the question, non-Trinitarians, who think that Jesus as the Son is nothing but a creature, do you believe that it was very hard for God to create <laughs> um, Jesus, or, you know, if you're an Aryan, whatever angelic type thing that became Jesus of Nazareth, was it really difficult for God to create someone like him? You know, even Arius admitted that uh, what he, he believed that Jesus was a creature, he believed that the Son was a creature, but as he said, there was a time when the Son was not, and he argued in his uh, little poem, The Banquet, that, that uh, God cre can create something equal to the Son, but no greater than the Son. Now, I don't understand how he can really... Uh, <laughs> You know, if the sun is a creature and is finite, couldn't we always conceive of something greater than something that is finite that could possibly be created? Um, and so, yeah, um, it wouldn't, you know, did it take God a lot of effort to create this so-called only unique sun, the only begotten, the monogenes huyas, if uh, if it's a creature, you know, couldn't God create someone else like Jesus? If that's the case, then how can we truly justify calling him the only unique son? Um, also, if Jesus is a creature, uh, a finite creature, then like the angels that fell, Jesus could technically fail in the divine mission. And, uh, you know, what would that mean? That would mean that God would, you know, would and could create another one uh, until he gets it right. And so God would have to keep giving his so-called only unique son who's yet another one and who would not be only and would not be unique in this case here. <laughs> and so I, I don't see how you could justify defining uh, Jesus as the only unique son, the monogenes huyos. 
if uh, if he isn't intrinsically unique, not unique, um, you know, de facto because God only created one, but unique du jour, like. As to his essence, there could not possibly be anyone like this. And therefore, when God gave the Son, that really was God giving of himself, the very essence of himself. How could God giving the only unique Son as a means of expressing his very love as of of his being just to give a highly exalted creature is anything creating anything difficult for god whether from the tiniest worm or grain of sand to the most glorious angel does creating any creature or any other creature cause god to sweat and how can that be the only unique son he doesn't have whatever he creates he doesn't have to throw away the mold you know <laughs> He isn't stopped after creating the Son from being able to create something like him. So those of you who don't believe that Jesus as God is really of the same unique one essence of God, that God giving the Son is (laughs) really a thing, if you think about it. It really is the expression of his very being, the love of his very being. And, you know, and so this son who is of his very being could not fail the divine mission. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, these are my thoughts on John 3.16. When we read John 3.16 and reflect carefully on the words that the Apostle John recorded through God's own breath of inspiration, we can only begin to mind the diamonds that describe the gift of God's love for us about who became flesh as Jesus of Nazareth. And... God's love. God loved the world in this manner that he gave his only unique son. And that is why whoever believes in him gets eternal life. The next time we see those zealous sports fans holding up uh, John 3.16 signs, we can think, remember, and think deeply about just what this statement really means. And we would desire that those holding up the signs can truly ponder as to what that verse means that God so loved the world in this manner that he gave what does it mean that he gave and his only unique son his only begotten son the monogenes or huios um, what that means and why it must mean that Jesus is truly, fully God with the Father. He could not merely be a creature because that wouldn't mean anything for God to create and give them. That would not truly, fully express the love of God. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth Espresso Express. I hope that this um was a good a devotional thought for the day, and this really was based on 
an article that I tried to submit to some uh, Christian magazines after I took a uh, went to a writers' conference, but here you go. It was never accepted, and so it is accepted for an episode of Truth Espresso. And so, uh, God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 